You can keep your finger in your Bibles, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 5. And you can also keep a finger in Song of Solomon, because we'll be in those two passages at times. You ever watched uh, one of the game shows and the host in a game show always ask a contestant, you know, what is your job? What is your occupation? And inevitably, there'll be one of the ladies there that will say, I'm just a mom. And the question is, is there anything as just a mom? As though maybe the position that she's holding is somewhat less than others that might be holding a 40-week job. And may I suggest, just as moms and dads and as women, as men in general, that we don't find our identities in our occupation, and we don't find our identities in the roles that we play, What do I mean by that? Uh, Maybe an illustration. There was a young guy in college that came to his professor. And he said, Doc, I'm going to be leaving college. And he said, why? You're a bright student. I've got to find myself. Remember that area when people were trying to find themselves? I think we're back in that era again in a much more significant way than we were before. And this professor said to him, you don't have to go find yourself. I can tell you exactly what you are. You're an onion. And the kid said, an onion? What do you mean? He said, when you take an onion and you begin to unpeel its layers one by one, what do you have when you're all done? He said, well, well, nothing. Just a bunch of layers. And his view to that boy was, well, that's the same with you. You are what you make of yourself, so choose an occupation, choose a role, choose a way, and just go. But can I suggest there's more to that than the Christian life, than just the layers that we put on to identify ourselves? That really at the heart of it is Christ. In other words, in one sense, we do have layers, we do have roles, we do have responsibilities. But another sense that the core of our being is Christ and Christ-likeness. It's supposed to be something that just doesn't identify us, but it's also the driving motivation in all that we do and why we do what we do. In fact, Paul would say this in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, again, after his salvation. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh or in this body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's at the core of Paul's identity? It's Jesus Christ. Colossians would say that you hide the word of God in your heart, let it dwell in there richly. So so that Christ becomes the controller of your control center, so to speak. And we know by Scripture that everything happening to us now is not happening by just randomness. But God in his design is purposely using everything in this time of our life to move us more towards Christ-likeness. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things are working together for good. And what's the good? Well, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew and also predestined, To what? To be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
May I suggest that really it's the Christ-likeness of a woman that is her greatest quality? And it's the quality that is to be admired? And could you imagine if you threw that out in the public square for debate, that the most valuable thing about a woman would be her Christ-likeness? Could you also imagine, on the other hand, what it would do inside of a church? That was the thought, too. That for a young man going out to look for a wife, that the Christ-likeness of the individual that they are pursuing becomes the most important thing. While Christ-likeness of a woman is the same as the Christ-likeness that's required of a man, it does in Scripture identify itself or, or bear itself out in differing roles, differing responsibilities that God has given to her as a wife and to her as a mother specifically. And a woman will only be as content and satisfied in the responsibilities that God has given to her specifically as she is mature in Christ. And she'll only actively strive to meet the God-given responsibilities to the extent that she's mature in Christ. This is true of every Christian. Man, woman, regardless of the different responsibilities and roles that he's given to us. My wife has informed me over the years that Mother's Day is not always the favorite day of people. Because some have relationships with their mom that were not so good. And so it's a reminder of a bad relationship. Sometimes mothers have relationships with their sons or their daughters at the particular moment, and it's not all that they would like for it to be. So Mother's Day is not as enjoyable as it ought to be. And some, when we talk about things like we are in Proverbs 31, leave the church feeling like the goal is so high. And where I'm at in the goal is so low. And instead of walking out encouraged, we walk out discouraged. Proverbs 31 is one of those passages. In fact, one of the pastors I learned under, he, he used to call this the P31 woman. And P is standing for perfection, standing for standard to reach for. Can I say also, just on the other side, us guys feel that way sometimes on Father's Day too? Because we have model E525, Ephesians 525, where the husband's asked by God to love his wife with the same type of sacrificial love that Christ loved the church. And the standard is way beyond reachable in this lifetime. So I just want to look briefly at those characteristics. And then I want to look more today at the motivation. And then also, also at four means of encouragement for moms and for wives and for women in general. If we look through the model that's there in Proverbs 31... Verse 10, we find that she's of great value and rare if you can find her at all. Verses 13 and 19 tell us that she's diligent. 15 and 21 tell us that she's disciplined and she feeds and clothes her family well. Verses 16 through 18 and 22 and 24 
We find she's prudent and productive. She's distinguished in her appearance. She's savvy in her business. And her goods are well made and they're bought by the merchants. In verse 20, she helps those who are in need. In verse 25, she has strength and she has dignity. And she's prepared for what's to come. Verse 26, she offers wise and godly counsel. 27, she knows her family well. Verse 11, she has her husband's confidence. In verse 12, she does her husband good and not harm all the days of his life. And in verse 23, she advances her husband's reputation at the city gate because of who she is, because of what she does. And if you look at all of those, it's a pretty daunting list of characteristics to measure up to. But not only are the characteristics a little bit daunting, but there's motivation with it too. And I'm going to say that the motivation of the woman in Proverbs 31, if we kind of boil it down, boil it down is that she is home-purposed in her thought and in her activity. One, she seeks the best for her husband in Proverbs 32. Excuse me, 31, 11, and 12. It says the heart of her husband trusts in her. He'll have no lack of gain. He does, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. We find her spending their time and her thoughts and seeking the best that, for, that is for her children. Verse 15 says she rises also while it's still night, early in the morning. And she gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. And you might be saying, if I had a bunch of ladies and, and servants that were going to be working for me, I would get up early in the morning and I'd get them fed so they could get out and get going. It's more than just that. She's taken into consideration her household in general and her children in general. It's on her thoughts. It's on her mind. In verse 21, it says she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. We find as we go through that, that her life is centered around the good of her household. And she's willing to make sacrifices in that behalf. I, I always remember, my, my wife likes to shop. Your wife might like to shop. But there's a neat thing about her shopping that is completely different than my shopping. When she comes back from shopping, she's all excited, and she might have a bag of clothes. And she wants me to look at all the different clothes that she had purchased. And it goes something like this. Have you seen Kenzie's knees in her pants? She has just put holes in all of them. It's awful. Look what I found. Have you seen what Hudson did to his t-shirt? This was not a work shirt. I replaced it with this. And I got it all for this much. Can you believe it? And I went, no, I can't. Because that's where her mind is. That's where her purpose is. That's where her thoughts are. I only like to go shopping when I have money in my hand and I have a particular thing I have to buy. And I want to walk into the one store, find it, buy it, and go back home. She spends a lot of time and sacrifice in that regard. We have, we have two different views, two different hearts in the matter. This woman is buying and planting vineyards, and she's making and selling sashes. And she's not doing it to make a name for herself or to make her mark in this world. She's doing it for her family, 
She's doing it for her husband. So she sacrifices and works both inside the home and outside the home for that purpose. And that's selfless. We're going to learn later that's to be praised. That's to be honored. We also find it goes beyond just her family. She's others-oriented. She seeks the best for those that are in need. Proverbs 31.20 says, She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. So it doesn't just stay at home. It goes beyond the home, too. And there are four means of encouragement that a woman and a mom and a wife can draw from, and I want to look at those with the rest of the time we have today. First one is her husband. This is going to be a reciprocal thing that takes place. And I'm going to make the statement as we identify the husband, it's a husband who tends to his well. Say, well, what do you mean by the well? Well, not not, not just what we looked at, but now we add something else on top of that as a responsibility for a wife. You may not know that God intended for our wives to be a source for us, a source of refreshment. Solomon calls it a well or an oasis in the desert, if you will. And as we go to that passage in in Song of Solomon chapter 4, the context is Solomon and his Shulamite bride. So we keep that in mind as we're reading these verses. So Song of Solomon chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is Solomon speaking at this point. And he's saying to his bride-to-be, you are a garden of spring, or a garden spring. You're a well of fresh water and streams flowing from Lebanon. And her response is this. Awake, O north wind, and come, wind of the south. Make my garden breathe out fragrance. Let its spices be wafted abroad. May my beloved come into his garden and eat its choicest fruit. And we understand in the context that the exchange is physical in nature. It's the intimacy that goes along with marriage. We find that it's mutual. Both are looking forward in anticipation for the time that they meet and share their love. That's, that's the well. That's part of the refreshment that comes. And yet there's supposed to always be in the marriage a fresh and vibrant and genuine romantic love. So how do you keep that strong? How do you keep that there as a source of encouragement? Well, we're going to look at this a little bit later. The physical relationship has its basis in the spiritual and in the friendship relationship. There won't be anything that it ought to be. So maybe you might be sitting here today and viewing things more on the negative extreme. In other words, we might say, is this the exchange that we have in in our home? Because there's another extreme to this that Proverbs gives us in Proverbs 21 and verse 19. It says, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And Proverbs 27, 15 says, a continual dripping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. 
And you might be saying, well, that sounds a little bit more like my situation. But you're not going to say amen, preach it, brother, because you're much wiser than that this morning. So you have two extremes. The question is, what produces the two different extremes? Did you ever stop to think that possibly this isn't your wife's fault? Let me clarify. Because we don't ever get to look at our situation, our circumstances, or people in our life that are difficult and say, they are the reason that I get to act like this. We, we don't get to do that. We, we all stand before God in personal responsibility of how we deal with everything in our lives. But maybe we could put it this way. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe there are things in that person's life that's a constant dripping, dripping that are resulting from or, or bearing out of difficulties that they're dealing with that maybe could be avoided or changed? In other words, if you're the plumber in the house and you see a leaky fountain or a dripping fountain, what do you do? You go fix the fountain. And if you see this scenario starting to develop inside the home, what do you do? You're going to have to fix the fountain or invest something into the fountain. And at the time that Solomon is writing, only privileged people were able to have a well at their house. Everybody else had to go to the common market. And it kind of also gives the idea that someone who has their well then is someone who is privileged. And maybe we can make at least an analogy from it, as Proverbs 18 does, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and he obtains favor from the Lord. But it's going to have to be maintained. It doesn't stay like that forever on its own. The other cog in this is found in Song of Solomon chapter 5 and verse 16. She makes a statement. His mouth is most sweet. He is altogether desirable. And here's the statement. This is my beloved. This is the one I love. This is the one my life centers around. And look what's connected to it. And this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. In other words, I think you can make the strong connection. That, that, that the love that is enjoyed between the two is also directly connected to the friendship that is built and the continuance of that friendship. In other words, there's no way to maintain a fresh and vibrant romantic love with inside the marriage. If the friendship that started before wasn't what it ought to be, and if it's what it was ought to be, it doesn't continue to grow throughout the entire marriage. I mean, think back as a guy. The amount of time you sacrificed, sleep, money, hobbies, work, sports, hanging out with the guys. Remember all that you gave up to spend time with her. Because your goal was to what? Well, I want to win her over to my side. That same thing has to continue through marriage. That same time of investment in the friendship is never supposed to end. There's always investing like we did when we were trying to win her. That's what keeps things vibrant and fresh 
and growing. There's also another thing that God gives to the husband as a means of encouragement. That's his faithfulness. Proverbs 5, 15 through 16 says, Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad or streams of water in the streets? And so satisfaction in the well that God gave us is absolutely essential to breathe encouragement into the life of our youth and all the way through our lives. Proverbs adds to this too, that we need to rejoice often in our wives. In other words, rejoicing in the wife that God has given to us to the well that we have for refreshment is to be constant. And it's written in an imperative, it's a command. So it's not qualified by only if she's not dripping or only if she's not contentious. God's asking to do this as a husband first and foremost for him. So rejoicing has the idea of this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice meaning let yourself be made glad. Let yourself be brightened is the idea. And again, it's what we choose to do in this situation. And when we rejoice in our wives, our wives are blessed. And this is what I mean by saying this this is a reciprocal situation. When you rejoice in somebody and invest in somebody and they're blessed in return, there's a giving back, especially in the marriage and family relationships. So if we rejoice in our own wells and we vest our love and affection totally in them, in turn makes them blessed and a source and a refreshment for us. You don't do it just out of a selfish reason. You do it out of glory for God. So a husband loves his wife with the sacrificial love of Christ. Frees his wife to make it more able for her to make the sacrifices that are necessary for her to come alongside him as a suitable helpmate. And that can't be fun all the time. That can't be great all the time. Because sometimes we really blow it. The goal is to understand the difficulty that a woman has as a mom and as a wife and the roles that God has given to her to play. And then as a husband to come alongside with our responsibilities in such a way that we aid her in doing that and we help her in doing that. Because the Christian life is a we thing. It's not a I thing or a her thing or a me thing. It's a we thing. Proverbs also says this. There ought to be praise often for your wife. Things don't go unnoticed. Thanks is not neglected. Praise is something that is constant and often. Proverbs 31.8 says this. Her children rise up and bless her and her husband also. And he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly. There's a lot of great women that are out there. But for me, in my estimation, you excel them all. That's my view. And so we give praise 
We fill with praise and encouragement. Because if ever you got, if all you ever got was negative or the critique, if you didn't get praise and lots of praise, you begin to diminish in your strength. What, what does it say in Thessalonians when somebody is struggling and we come alongside and we comfort them? Why? We're producing or giving strength for the situation. So if in my relationship with my wife, I've come to some point where maybe not even noticeable to myself, I become more of a taker than I have a giver or an investor. And if I take and I take and I take and I take, what does it do to the well? Sucks it dry. It pulls the life out of her. Instead of putting into her the life that God has given me as a husband and the sacrificial love that he commands of me of Christ, these things are huge. Why? Because we want her to stand before God, complete and whole and mature. We want to make that as easy as we can for her, not as hard. And this includes the children too. Proverbs 31, 28 says this. Her children rise up and they bless her. You know, I look back at some of my life, especially teen life, and I can't say that was constantly, you know, he's part of life. Because you just took it for granted. That's just what mom does. And it's always there. I, I didn't realize all the details that go into things until Michelle started teaching um, school. She, she took that on about two weeks before school started, so every night is prep work from when she gets home basically till when it's time to go to bed. And I told her I'd come alongside to make this thing work and I would take care of some of the domestic things that she normally took care of. So I get up in the morning and I make food for my family and I get Kenzie's lunch packed and I do all this other stuff. So much so that I've asked her where she's taking me out to lunch today for Mother's Day. And you know what I discovered? And I'm listening to it on the stage. I don't have near the capacity and detail that she has. As wives are sharing with their husband, this is his birthday. This is when he was born. All I know is they're here and they're mine. Different mindset, different look, different, different value altogether. I can't replace my wife but I can build her and I can help her and he's asking the children to do this too in Proverbs 31 28 her children are rising up and blessing her they're not toddlers anymore these guys could be young men at this time but if you're a teen or upper elementary school you're, you're getting a pretty good idea and you have a pretty good understanding of what it takes for a household to be run. And you have a pretty good understanding of the sacrifices that mom makes, and probably dad too, 
As you get run to this place and you get run to this place and you go to that game and this game. And the response would be praise, thanks. Even beyond praise and thanks, you know what the response would be? Help. I remember this conversation with Hudson and his mom because his mom wanted him to help him wash the kitchen floor. And he's like, because oh. there's other things on the schedule. And you know what his response was when she questioned him about it? I know, Mom. I mean, if you were my wife, I would do that. I would do it with a toothbrush if I had to. And what do you think my wife's response is? I'll, I'll, let your, I'll let her go ahead and share that. You can talk to her later if you'd like to. We know, we know as young people what it takes. And we know the difficulties. And you've seen the struggle. So will you raise up and praise them? Will you raise up and thank her? Will we quit focusing on ourselves and what we want? Will we pitch in and help? Because what's the goal of a Christian husband and a Christian son or daughter? To help another fellow Christian in their role that they have before God so that they might before God give him glory. And we do it all together in that regard. There's two other strengths, two other areas of encouragement that we're not going to cover today. I'm covering what we can do as a husband and what we can do as children. I really want to encourage you to take this little book when you go today. It's, it's part two of the sermon. And it's a, just a real good practical book that, that really shares two more aspects of encouragement for a woman and a wife and for a mom. That's to draw strength and encouragement from your church body. We are all here together trying to strive to bring each other to the glory of God and to Christ-likeness. Gives you some practical ways to do that. And ultimately, our strength is drawn where? It's drawn through the Word. It's drawn through the work of the Spirit who's working through the Word to conform in us the identity of Jesus Christ that's the ultimate strength because you may be here today but maybe you're here today as a mom or as a wife but, but your kids aren't in the home anymore or maybe the relationship's been strained or the same with the husband. God has always given a church. There's always family beyond the immediate family. And ultimately we turn to God and his word for the drawing of strength Proverbs 31.30 says that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall what? She shall be praised. She will be praised. It's the after effect, if you will, of fearing the Lord. There's one thing that I remember about my mom that stuck out, stuck out. It wasn't English that she taught me. That didn't stuck out. As she cringes over there. It was the genuineness of the faith. I remember there was a time, you know, her and, her and I had quarrels, if you could believe that. I wasn't always the fine, upstanding person I am right now. 
My mom would say, you still got work to do. My wife would say, there's still lots of work to do. But I remember one time when we were exceptionally ornery. And two things happened. One, I heard her crying in the bedroom. And she's praying while she's crying. And she's praying for us boys. And I'm going, wow, this is serious. Well, I'll just, I'll just see about her Christianity. I want to know that it's real. I want to know that it's growing. I want to know that it's moving. I want to know that where they're pushing me with their standards and with their teaching and with their truths is really where I need to be. So I decided the way to do that was, was to look at the Bible next to her bed. That would be my little test because, you know, they have one of those little markers in there. I'll see if the thing moves. Then I'll know if the word is part of her life or not. That was dumb. It's not that easy. But that's where I was as a kid. And I went into the bedroom, and each day, for about a week or so, I would look to see if that little marker in the Bible moved, and it moved every day. Moved something simple but it said to me at that time of my life this is real it's really real for her and despite any difficulties we might have had and we didn't have a lot I loved where I live I want you to think I didn't love where I live I love you mom I love you I do it was enjoyable to live there but there's a time in your life as a child when you are struggling with the reality of Christianity and you're struggling with the reality of God and there comes a time that has to be yours. So thankful for godly mothers that just stick with the stuff. Lord God, you are an incredible God. You've organized the family in such a way that if we are all following our roles, if we are living out to the fullest with your strength, those responsibilities that you gave to us. There is a type of joy in the marriage relationship. There is a type of joy in the home relationship despite all the difficulties that may go on at different periods of time. There is a quality of life that can be enjoyed in a way that it can't otherwise be enjoyed unless we are all obedient and faithful. So Lord, I pray for the mothers here today. Lord, I pray for the work they do in and through their kids' lives. Thankful, dear God, for their influence in the Word and their influence in their own lives. We pray for the women in our church. We are thankful for them, dear God. We are thankful for what they bring to your service that we as men cannot bring, and vice versa. Lord, help us to be a church and help us to be families that help each other in the roles that we have. That we might do it in a way that encourages and strengthens, in a way that it builds up, and in a way, dear God, it might push us all to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. To your